Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Ralph. It's snowing here. You're back in New York. Yeah, but it's also snowing in the Netherlands. I left in the... Luckily, because sometimes the airplanes don't fly when it's snowing, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in Canada, they always fly. Um, yeah, they're used to it, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very funny. Each year in the Netherlands, they're like, oh boy, what happened? It's snowing. And it's, it's just once <laughs> a year, once every two years. And it's like, oh, we didn't think this would happen. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that they're just like, it's a budget thing. Like, you, why would you invest in all the de-icing equipment and you know, plows and everything. And when you could just pretend that one day a year, it's not, it didn't really happen. You know? Yeah. I I do think uh, Canada has the, right now has the image of a better managed U.S., like a Mm, better version of the U.S. But, but uh, it's that thing every election when there's a Republican, that's if if it's a Republican win, every liberal American says, that's it, I'm moving to Canada. And then they look at the average temperature and they're like, oh, I guess it's okay. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's that. But actually, I think there's a big pivot right now because like we're way behind in our vaccines and we because we don't manufacture our own vaccines. Like in, if you're yeah, in Canada. Yeah, same in the Netherlands. It's they're way yeah. behind. Yeah. Yeah. So Canadians are like going like, what's wrong with this government? This is like the Americans are so much further ahead than <laughs> Yeah, like, someone like, predicted it that the, the Americans are really good at messing up and then recovering. one big sweeping fix and then just forget <laughs> everything that went wrong. It's like, okay, whatever, yeah. we fixed it, let's go. They're good at crisis management, I guess, but after the crisis has like reached a pinnacle of like... Yeah, but they were saying Americans are really good at forgetting. Yeah, that's maybe a good point. I always said they're great at marketing and like oh, one yeah. thing marketing's great at is like a big punch in the face, you know, like... This is what makes America great. Yeah, but it, <laughs> in a sense, you could say it's marketing, but it's also an actual thing. It's a vaccine. That's true. It's not just marketing. It's actually saving yeah. lives. That's yeah. what the ad would say, too. This ain't just marketing. We're actually <laughs> saving lives. Yeah. And tonight's Super Bowl, we're going to save another. My whole thing with this crisis <laughs> is why uh, I, I just keep thinking, do we really want to be 90 years old? But it's easy to say as a young person, but it's just... I know well, so many old people. There. I know so many old people who are grumpy, and it just seems like they're not having fun. The one thing that uh, this pandemic has taught me is I can see the road to ninety. It's like oh, a, few yeah. more S- a few more SNLs, you know, a couple more Netflix uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> binge watching episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's it. funny when you see interviews with artists, and it's like, "Wow, you've been working for two decades." And it's like, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but it's, it just flies by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, time gets compressed over time. Uh, over time. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought? Uh, what are we like? One hundred and thirty-five podcasts about nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seinfeld would have cut it quits by now. Um, um, yeah, but uh, uh, should we listen to the question? Or we had some other. Yeah, we have a we have a question. Oh, well, uh, you were going to talk about how you believe jet lag is uh, a joke. It's not a real thing, but uh, yeah. I was, no, you were asking me, how's your jet lag? And uh, it's a six, but it's a six hour time difference. And then you just wake up at 5 a.m. Uh, uh, instead Here's of a, seven or nine. Yeah. Mm, that sounds like a COVID luxury to me, like jet lag. That's something that only wealthy, privileged people have access to. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a spa. Yeah, mm, I'm enjoying the lag. privilege. Yeah. Mm, the privilege of jet lag. I did have to do 10 tests or something going back and forth. So it, mm. it was quite expensive. Yeah. Oh, the tests. Boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to make all these excuses for being normal. I think that's yeah. what the next twelve months looks like. It's like, 
oh, I enjoyed myself. I'm sorry. I, you know, but I had to. I had to enjoy myself. <laughs> it was yeah. essential. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like uh, instinctively, just emotionally, do you feel like we're going back to regular life or you think things will never be really back to normal? And Like, I, normal? I could imagine the next 10 years that travel just involves a lot of testing and a vaccine passport and there'll be a different... The same way after 9-11, security was enhanced and it just made travel annoying, that this is going to be another layer of annoying. Yeah, eventually you get good at taking your belt off before the security line. Like, that's all Yeah, that's but, but now it's like <laughs> a swab before you fly and you have to yeah. get to the airport six hours ahead or something. You're like, honey, swab me up. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, you'll wake up in the morning. Yeah, it'll be one more step. I think that's... Like civilization. That's fair to say, no? Like there, there'll be yeah. more steps. Yeah. Yeah. Now I got to wear socks and shoes. Ugh, I used to wear bare feet and sandals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah, it's just like a, a little bit more, like another inconvenience. Like, but I, I think the last time I talked to you, you sound more cheerful now. But remember the last time the working from home was really getting to you, and you're mm. always Mr. Cheerful. But you're like, oh man, I don't know how much longer I can take this. You know what the difference is? I took Friday off. <laughs> but i do think that it makes a huge difference if you can like i technically work a four-day week but because things were so stressful out of like sympathy for my team and stuff i was doing like these five-day weeks all problems start with sympathy but then with the pro like back to our time management episode the problem with me doing a five-day week is that then my artwork piles up on the weekend and so that i work like solid through the weekend and i start monday exhausted i'm like not again you know but this is what i'm saying it's being selfish can be very generous. So if you had a great weekend full of art and ideas, then you'll be better in those four days instead of being grumpy for five days. Like, yeah. Does that make sense? I, I think being selfish is, is uh, not just as an artist, for many things. It's like if you put time to exercise, then you'll be better at work. Or yeah. if you take time off and really relax and say, no, I'm not doing... You know what you know what I'm trying to yeah, get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to yeah. empty your cup to refill it. You know. So yeah. Anyway, which, had a chance which, to do uh, that. Which relates to this week's question, I think. Mm, good one. I didn't even think of that. Great segue. Yeah. So we have a question from from Lisa, who is that? I mean, at your wedding. That's how I know Lisa. Because yeah, uh, Lisa's a good friend of Christina's, friend of uh, and mm-hmm. uh, she's not uh, an artist or a designer, which I think a lot of our audience is programmers and artists and designers, but. Uh, she works in fashion and lives in Stockholm. She's an American living in Stockholm. And let's listen to her question. Okay, great. Hi, Raphael. Hi, Jeremy. This is Lisa, longtime listener, first time questioner. And I don't have a question about business or arts, but I really like food. And I'm curious what you eat and how you decide what you eat. Okay. Thank you for the question, Lisa. Yeah. Good question. I, I like that. Uh, I'm not allowed. I'm gonna. I, should I accept the challenge? Not talking about art or business, or should I turn her question into an art and business question? I'm. Sh- I'm sure you'll turn it into something uh, moral and about diversity. Yeah, that's right. Let me start with your privilege, Lisa. <laughs> but you, um, you, you talk about choosing to eat when two billion people don't even have food. Yeah. Let me talk yeah. about food. Uh, well, I think I do Is, think. Did you did you grow up? Did your parents tell you to finish your plate because they're starving kids? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was growing up, you know, it's and this is like it's an issue actually because Africa kind of got um, branded as in need versus um, sort of 
uh, you know, independent. Like it was this dependent continent. They need our help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I was growing up, I think it was Ethiopia. um, And then, you know, there's subsequent African nations were marginalized that way. Well, I I think uh, the idea of hunger was kind of, that problem was getting solved in most parts of the world, but it was really serious there. And uh, of course, that's pretty much, that's where you start with uh, building a prosperous nation. So yeah. yeah, but by that definition, to answer Lisa's question, what kind of food do you like? Food that keeps me alive, God damn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, a, it's, a it's not a simple here. question because I, I, I don't know if this is a myth or if it's true, but that uh, obesity or overeating is a bigger problem in the world now than hunger as, as far as a health issue. So mm-hmm. the idea that humans very deeply, uh, basically machines that try to absorb calories at all costs and try to retain them so it's very deep in you to not move and just shove as much food in your mouth as possible yeah and we've succeeded in uh, sustaining everybody and then the next problem is fighting the urge to just fill yourself with sugar do you ever read that book guns germs and steel right yeah you know essentially like yeah we obviously we spend all of our time and if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the bottom of the pyramid is survival, right? And hunter gatherers were out there spending all of their time foraging for food. And, you know, agriculture was the first step towards, um, (laughs) artists existing, (laughs) like, but it was really the first business step towards our, you know, art, arts existence, but really it was like about the first division of labor. Right. Yeah. And, and, and and the idea of a surplus that you, store calories in a, uh, in the form of grains and that you keep them yeah. there for a while and you think, okay, I, if if we keep them there and you keep them for a year, we'll be safe even if X, Y, and Z happen. Well, yeah, whenever there's a disaster, what's the first thing that gets delivered? They just like deliver piles of flour and rice, right? Like just like the, the grain is still the staple um, kind of survival um, calorie. Yeah. Talking um, about technology, I, I don't think we're able to create uh, calories out of nothing, right? Can you create calories out of crude oil or things like that? Um, Well, you can theoretically. That's what like fertilizer is for corn. But I mean, I guess it depends on how you think about production, right? Like in food production and manufacture. There's all this lab-grown food, you know, there's this lab-grown food movement. But even in the lab-grown food, I think that they're using inputs that would have been derived from... Um, I don't know. I have to look into that, but might have been derived from uh, natural-based sources. Yeah. It, like it, a petrochemical source. I'm not sure yeah. if it's a direct line. Because if you remember all the sci-fi movies up until maybe the 70s, the idea was that you would eat out of little colored pockets of nutrients that sim- uh, are similar to tomato or strawberry or banana, and uh, mm-hmm. everything is processed as possible. They, they thought that was the future. They didn't the think on, it. Yeah. They didn't was think on, it was farmers' markets in twenty. On Star Trek, what is the uh, device called? It's like um, ah, yeah, the thing that just uh, generates whatever food you want. Yeah, why is the the name escaping me? Do you know? Because we're dumb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but what I mean to get to Lisa's question, what kind of food do you do? You, do you how like do you eating? choose what you? Yeah. yeah, how do you choose what to eat? Well, you've tweeted what you eat your entire. Life, I feel like. Since 2008, I think, I've been (laughs) tweeting. It's a Twitter account uh, at RRFood. And uh, after every meal, I tweet what I eat, just in words, not in pictures. 
And is it uh, is, if you miss a day, do you come? Do you come back? How active yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, f- for example, if I'm on a flight for six or seven hours, I can't mm-hmm. tweet from there. Yeah, and then I tweet it later. I was thinking that if you ever had an allergy, like, do you have any food allergies? No. Yeah, luckily not yet. A lot of people keep a food diary when they have an allergy. And essentially, though, you've got this like incredible log. If anything ever goes wrong, you could be like, hmm, well, I'll just check the logs here. Yeah. <laughs> um, have yeah. you ever done any ana- analysis on it, like any visualizations or data? No, analysis? no. I think the whole point for me is that it doesn't have a point. So. <laughs> yeah, why did yeah. you start? Why did you start doing well, it? Well, I, I remember Twitter starting and... Um, just thinking, what what the hell do I have to say? And then I just thought, oh, well, I'll just tweet what I eat. That was kind of how a lot of people started, though. I remember it was like... Because the, it was, yeah, we had microblogging. It just felt like you were throwing words into a void, like, like bringing uh, water to the ocean. But there used to be these prompts, even, like on social media, like, what are you doing right now, right? And it would be like, well, most it, of the time, people are eating. MySpace had the status updates, right? Like feeling yeah. or a current mood or something. Right, 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 right. But I, yeah. what I'm trying to get to is like food eventually did become one of the you know staples of con- like um, you know c- content production yeah. from a user yeah, generated yeah. content pr- perspective. I've right? been watching a lot more cooking videos since the lockdown. But even prior to that, I feel like pictures of food, and this is like demographically, I think espresso like, cups, photographs. Yeah, and I I don't know my mom my mom when you know she'll make me take a photo of like Thanksgiving dinner, but she also. She's right now, she's, they're out west. They, they live half the year in Vancouver here. And the only pictures she sends me of are her and my father at restaurants. I know this is like, so it's like COVID regionalism, but there in Vancouver, you're allowed to go to, re, you know, restaurants. Um, but it's still fascinating. She wants to take a picture of the person with the food. And, and the only other things I can think of that are and like Do you that enjoy like, the pictures? Well, I, I do to a certain extent, but it's like, I've been trying to figure it out socially. Like, so you have pictures of people with, monuments or like landscapes yeah that's very common like i took pictures a picture of, yesterday of Kristen pictures with of babies waterfall. pictures yeah. of puppies and then pictures of people with food and then maybe pictures of people with sunsets but that fits into that landscape yeah. category it might actually just be and two maybe things. pictures of, of people with artworks the art selfies yeah but food stands like as this totem of human experience and i don't know if well you know, think about it, it i mean it's pretty important in your life I, I am thinking about it. Thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I, uh, w- it, what else would you photograph? It's the well, most I just important find it, thing. I find it so remarkable because it's both the most important thing and the least important thing. So if we go back yeah. to my original statement, it's like, it's grain. So it's something you take for granted, but it's also something that you, you know, kind of celebrate that is the social glue and yeah. a lot of times it's cultural glue. It'd be funny if we're the same about food as we are about the air we breathe. And it's like, oh, it's the, the, the air in the Alps. And you take a selfie of yourself breathing. <laughs> Look at this great bespoke air. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think maybe fashion falls into, or clothing falls into a similar category where it's like, you know, look at this new thing. But we don't, because it's tied to our identity. Today's people, outfit, today's meal. Well, people can be shy about sharing it. Or like you know, celebrating it sometimes, so it, that it doesn't quite fit. In. Like food has this universalism, um, and then I was thinking about you know do, how does that fit into culture? Because like ultimately, it wouldn't be controversial for me to say that food is culture, right? 
Yeah. Because, and you'd be like, because whenever you talk about the city you live in, you're like, well, what's so great about it? And you'd be like, the food. <laughs> the food. Yeah. This is a world-class yeah. city. The food. The, you know, and what, what's so interesting about the food? Cultures from all over the world and their food. And then you'd be like, and, and now there's mashups. It's like Korean tacos. Who would have thought, right? That's culture. Um, yeah, and yeah, so th- yeah. thinking that not in relationship but, to but, art, but I the question is is what? How do we choose it? Not like how do I the choose? world. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's more true, personal. How do yeah. I divulge? Yeah, well, food's very important to me. I, how, I do all. How the much guilt in is in there? In what? In my own, in like loving food. Or I just I food? just imagine you cutting a tomato, being like, "I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to hurt you." <laughs> <laughs> I was vegetarian for. A little bit, or, or partly vegetarian. Um, and then under pandemic circumstances, I threw that all away. So I will say, like, part of the food that is difficult for me, sometimes definitely difficult for Kristen, is the part where there's, like, the sacrifice of another life or something. And I know yeah. for a lot of folks, and, and also I think from a, for me anyway, it was more from a carbon standpoint, just like, if, you know, am I going to profess that I have an electric car to save the planet, then you should also probably eat foods that are less... Um, you know, less polluting beef yeah. being like the worst polluter. And then you, then, you know, <laughs> the worst polluter and the best tasting. Well, this is the thing, like why, you know, why, why do we like these things, you know, that are so bad for us? And it comes back to that original argument, uh, which is that they would have been scarce resources, right. That we had limited access Jeremy, to. Why, I just asked you, how do you choose? I'm not asking <laughs> you to fix the world's problems. You keep going back to this UNICEF dialogue of like save the world, but we're asking you how do you choose? Okay, how do I choose? I choose. Um, I honestly, in these days, what did I? Oh, I'll just tell you what the last meal I had. I had. Yeah. I had bacon, but pea meal bacon, which is what's like pea meal bacon? It's like a it's like a salt brined um, pork loin and mm. that's wrapped in cornmeal. And then you kind of fry it. It's Canadian kind of. You make uh, you made it at home. Yeah, yeah. You just buy like this this loin that's like a, this pickled. Does loin your loft smell like? Does your bed smell like bacon now? Well, it's not bacon. Like it's not like streaky bacon. It's different. It's not smoked. Okay. It's brine. But how do you feel about? Because uh, we both live in a loft. Do you avoid deep frying stuff or smelly foods or frying fish and things <laughs> like? No, I just open the door. It's, it's oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, we have like, a lot of air rushing. Like if you open the door to our hallway, there's like it's like you're opening an airlock chamber. <laughs> it's like a sci-fi movie on a spaceship. Yeah, wind just rushes in. But I think yeah. the way I choose food, I think there's pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. But like normally, I seek out new experiences, new flavors. The same way I seek out culture or art, and that's why I don't think that for me anyway, it's different. And I think when I travel, especially, that's where like my most um, like memorable food experiences have taken place. And, and that's what our, you know, food and memory are very closely tied because there's yeah. a scent and aroma that are naturally tied to, to memory. And for me, I seek out those fringe experiences. So I grew up, I don't know how you grew up, but as a child, like my parents wanted to expose us to adult foods. And so, and they were pretty wealthy in the 80s. So like I can remember having my first caviar. <laughs> first like oysters so just to get me out of that like food is essential <laughs> i space. imagine you in a sort of postmodern cafeteria like in the saved by the bell yeah and then uh the first sushi spot in toronto in your parents <laughs> well once you've had good sushi it's a great example it's and, really and hard I'm, to have. imagine the whole family having white turtlenecks <laughs> i mean definitely um yeah 
I will say my favorite food besides pinot bacon, which I just mentioned, is oysters. Um, oh. I love oysters. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you have to give me in return, by the way, your favorite food. But the reason I love oysters, and, and it didn't, it took me a while to like acquire this taste. You know, when you first have an oyster, you do this thing where you just swallow it whole and it goes all the way down your throat. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? Like, I'm glad I got through that. I survived it. But over time, you learn like the texture of the oyster. You learn to like the feel in your mouth, the the cr- this like crunch and soft. There's like different textures if you actually chew an oyster. And then you like the syrup or like the... Um, How you know, many the actual, will you eat in one session? The liquor of the oyster is so good. Um, I mean, six is like a, is a good amount, you know. But I, yeah. if I can have a dozen oysters, like I'll have them for I, sure. I, I like oysters, but I'm not oyster crazy. So I, I like to have two or three and then have a couple of other raw kinds of fish. Mm, interesting. Some shrimp, some lobster and uh, other things, yeah. And you're a huge Japanese food kind of. Yeah. Like, if I well, think of Rafael, I, I, I think, think, I think it might be my parents are to blame because they grew up with macrobiotic food, which is kind of basically Japanese health food. So it's uh, brown rice, some fish and tofu and vegetables and fermented things. And mm. So I think I grew up with miso soup and uh, ume plum and that kind of stuff. And, what's, um, ume plum? what's ume plum? It's a salty plum. It's like salty and sour. And they, they make a sort of vinegar out of it, and you can also eat the plum itself. Mm. Yeah. Sounds and every, everything's supposed to be healthy, so I don't know. It seems my parents are pretty healthy, so I, I believe them. But um, I, I, I think with food, you can make a quadrant of like tasty, delicious, and not so delicious healthy and not healthy and then to me japan just has this overlap of delicious and healthy and mm. the people when you see them they seem healthy and they have the most delicious food so i i love a burger too but and i love uh, a steak but uh what i'm trying to say is there's there's all these sort of fried chicken or american uh, delicious foods but you don't feel so good afterwards and if you have it too often you feel like you're like Uh, there's that but what, yeah but what makes the Japanese food like particularly delicious I mean we kind of just say things like it's delicious and take a well this is this is maybe the interesting part which I see a parallel with art it's like why is orange juice delicious oh but And, like I could go deep on orange juice with you yeah right? like, yeah but what I'm it's an interesting question like why is Japanese food delicious and you could rationally argue well it's good for you and it's tasty and etc but those are all rational things but there's something about biting into food or uh, trying sushi for the first time or maybe trying ramen or soba and just feeling very good and feeling good afterwards. One mm-hmm. of the key points of healthy food is that you feel good after the meal also. What does that feel like? Like you, you don't like you don't feel bloated or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't mm-hmm. feel uh, yeah, you don't feel like you have to go to the bathroom right away or you're sweating or your <laughs> stomach cramps or whatever. Uh, I, I What was that? There's a commercial where they, people have heartburn, mm. and they're like, "Take these tabs, and you can still eat the shitty food that you that you like." Yeah, and that doesn't seem like a good idea. Gab is gone, and it's gone. Yeah, That's why not eat the food that doesn't make you sick? But mm. um, uh, well, the interesting question. I, I I think the interesting question here for me is, everybody has preferences, and they might be. Nature or culture, they might be from the way you were brought up or the the way your genetics. But the interesting thing is, 
let's say you have a discussion with someone, would you rather have orange juice or grapefruit juice? And one is more tangy and bitter, and one is more sweet, and everybody has their preference. But at the end of the day, there's no rash. They're both healthy. They're both good for you. Whatever. There's no, there's no clear objective argument why one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. But then when, when you get to art critique and uh, the way people say uh, look at art, they're like, oh, I don't know enough about this to have an opinion. But everybody mm-hmm. has an opinion on juice. Mm-hmm. So, and and why why is an aesthetic experience or uh, an artistic intellectual experience hard for people to process? But a glass of juice is it's fair to have an opinion. Yeah, I mean, though you could probably argue that some people have greater or lesser opinions or points of view on food. Hence, like, but food everybody snobs. eats. That's that's my yeah. point. Yeah, but there are food snobs, and there are like you know people that are. Like, for example, let's take an example of, like, my nieces or something like that. But then you're you're talking about a hierarchy of opinions. But all children like French fries with ketchup, right? Because it has, like, fat, salt, sugar, right? Yeah. So you could categorically put certain foods in this category of, like, no one dislikes pizza. Like, I I still haven't met a person that dislikes pizza on the planet, you know? Uh, yeah, like it, you've never walked into a you know yeah, but, a family gathering and be like, not pizza, don't but, but, bring that what pizza I, in here. My my problem with this hierarchy of uh, taste that, uh, let's say someone's eighty five and they've tried every wine in the world, but actually their taste buds are deteriorating, so they would need a more intense flavor to be stimulated than a young person. Mm-hmm. And there's something about trying things for the first time also that you didn't develop the vocabulary yet but you're more amazed like it's it's easier for children to be impressed well you're getting somewhere where i think is it gets very interesting because like yeah and that does i think make the leap into this like cultural conversation and even into a business one but like there are people who will embrace the novelty and then but i've seen just as many if not more people reject different foods that they haven't tasted or different flavors that they haven't tasted as disgusting but why? Wait, like wait, wait, wait. Why are we getting to the rest of the people? Because the question was how For do myself? you choose? Yeah. Well, how I, I choose is like yeah. novelty based. That's what I was trying to get to, which is like okay. I seek out the extremes. And so, like, if it was real, someone told me this is going to be really spicy, like, you're not going to be able to handle it, I would be still interested in trying the food. Like, I'm interested in trying the greatest number. Like, the sensations are what I'm interested in mostly, right? Yeah. And as a, as a cook as well, like when I'm cooking, like I like to look inside the fridge and say like, hey, what would happen if I added this acid instead of that acid or, you know, made it saltier or sweeter? So I'm more experimental. I, I don't think okay. I'm a very good template, though, for like the average person. Maybe I am. Well, I, yeah. yeah, maybe the difference in my approach is uh, when I go to Japan, I love trying soba noodles everywhere and... and trying the different subtleties so not mm. trying completely different dishes and be like oh you won't survive this uh, rare <laughs> blowfish <laughs> unless it's cut a certain way yeah. and i'm more interested like if i go to germany i'd be interested in trying different brown types of rye bread of different regions and, and finding out the subtle differences well I, I bet i can ask you this question what's the best soba noodle you've ever had uh that was in the countryside in in japan i did a show in a region that was kind of abandoned Mm-hmm. That was actually, it, it, maybe that is an interesting sort of sci-fi scenario. <laughs> so a lot of Japan is, uh, has an aging population and young people leave to go to the city for jobs. And the people that stay are old people. 
and they have a lot of time on their hands. So I just had this bowl of, of soba noodles in the vegetable broth, and they grew all their own vegetables, and they cut the soba noodles, and they've been doing that. For, so the, the noodles are hand-cut. They're all kind of a different uh, thickness, or slightly. And the broth was just so delicious, and it just feels like th that slow food idea. That's the, there's a lot of time to do it. Mm -hmm. And do you remember any other aspects of the meal? You mentioned no, it, was it was abandoned, like this, this space. Well, well the, the, the whole neighborhood or the whole area was filled with all these old high schools or old factories that were abandoned that it kind of felt like a zombie movie, like mm -hmm. everybody left. But then there was this restaurant that was quite busy and just everybody was older than 60. Interesting. And, and they, I, I, that idea that a grandma is, is the best cook because she's been doing it for so many years and feeding her family... Imagine a whole town of grandparents, and they're just <laughs> all they can do is cook. But I think in, in, inherent in part of the description of that meal is also like the ambience and the surrounding and the context of being in this place. I, yeah, I'm weary of that argument. Mm. I, I, I remember a friend of mine, I, um, of co I like Brazilian food a lot too, but although it's a weird food for the climate there, they eat very heavy food and it's always hot. So. But they have the best fruit. I think they have amazing mangoes. And I was telling my friend, like, oh, the fruit in, in Brazil. And he's like, no, that's just because you're happy and holiday spirit. And actually, the fruit is the same here. And I was like, no, dude, have you been there? It's, it's a different thing. It's sun-riped. It didn't travel. Uh, they took it off the tree way later than if you take it off the tree to ship to the other side mm -hmm. of the world. So mm -hmm. uh, one of the key things that I do like is that I like the idea that certain foods are only available in certain places. Because of the, they're close to the, the terroir or like where they're grown or whatever? Yeah, but mm -hmm. I, I mean, I live in New York, which is a mashup of the world, so you, there's, there's not so much uh, uh, native cuisine in New York. Mm -hmm. Maybe just like deli sandwiches. But um, overall, I, that's one of the fun things of travel is like, oh, the mozzarella in Italy or the soba noodles in Japan or the mango in Brazil. Well, what's interesting about that in relationship to the United States is a huge part of the history of food in the United States is the history of like how the U.S. was industrialized and the end like technological developments. For example, like frozen foods, you know, really revolutionized the American landscape because people could, you know, who didn't have access to arable land where they could grow food could suddenly, you know, get vegetables as an example, like, or other. Yeah, it's kind food. of an example of, uh, uh, what you shouldn't do is it, 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 it's almost like humans are not good at relaxing. So they're like, oh, this place is great. The vegetables grow. The strawberries taste good. You know what? I'm going to go to where it's hard to grow food <laughs> and et cetera and make it work and create artificial food. But I think that that's a huge part of the difference between American food and food elsewhere, which is American, like it maybe even comes back to our pandemic thing. America is about terraforming, right? It's about like making, it's about the West, the you know, does, like does Canada taming, feel like the, that even taming more? nature? Um, I think Canada is so similar. Cold. Yeah. Taming. Yeah. And I would I argue the Netherlands is probably in a similar category where don't they have the most number of greenhouses? Yeah. Like, the, in, ne in the, the Netherlands has this very engineered kind of produce where you go to the supermarket and every vegetable and fruit tastes like cucumber. They're all just crunchy and wet. Yeah. And yeah, they all look perfect. I think that's similar to Canada. I mean, they do, they have said like that peaches and oranges and all these fruits that they now ship all over the world, they've been engineered so that they don't taste the way they did like 50 years ago. 
and it through because they've had to engineer them for shipping rather than for eating. Mm. Like so, taste yeah, has yeah, been yeah. not the actual. Well, goal. I, the goal. Has I been challenge you to go to Brazil because there it's like it's still great. Yeah, yeah, the fruit is definitely uh, another thing. But the, the the funny thing is, exotic is exciting. So mm-hmm. I think I mentioned this story before, but I asked my Brazilian grandma, what food did you like in the Netherlands? Cause it's not the best food country. And she's like, oh, the fruit. And I was really, <laughs> I, I was really surprised. What do you mean? It's like, oh, the apples and the plums and the cherries. And those are the type of fruits that are, Brazil are is too humid and too hot and the the apples are a bit mealy and uh, they can't yeah. even grow plums. And uh, yeah. So you'd be surprised, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in Canada, yeah, you can get a good apple for sure. That still exists. Like, I went apple yeah. picking this fall. There's nothing like having an apple right off the tree. You pick it off the tree, you put it in your mouth. It tastes completely different from you know, one you're buying at the store in a plastic yeah. bag. And have you noticed that your body became better at retaining calories as you got older? Am I getting fatter? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard. Are you more, uh, you have to watch what you eat more? I think the difference is when I go to the grocery store, the, like I went through a phase of I can only afford to buy ramen, you know, when I was a certain age or I couldn't, I really had to watch every meal. Like I remember. I don't think there's any moment in history that you actually had to watch no, no, your I, spending. You just always pretended. No, that's not true. That's not true. There were times where I would like. And I still, Kristen still gets mad at me for this because I grew up in a home. My mother um, was a survivor of famine in the Ukraine, like my grandparents. And so we grew up with this like kind of attitude toward you only buy the meat that's on special, you know, you watch, you watch out for the sales and then you buy in bulk. And it's like not about being fresh. It's about volume. And it's still like a part of, unfortunately, my psyche where like I'll go shopping. I'll be like, what's the greatest volume for the lowest price? Like, <laughs> I'll buy like these huge roasts and Kristen will be like, we're only two people. It's going to take us a week to eat that. And I'll be like, but it was great value. But the meat's like, you know, not great. Like That's a week the funny in. thing about the value meal. It's, it's such an absurd <laughs> proposition because it doesn't cost the restaurant anything whether you give uh, one scoop of fries or 12 scoops. Like, so they can, yeah. Yeah, it's the service that costs them the most anyway, not the actual Yeah, product. so McDonald's, the, the, the cost of the regular meal or super value meal or extra plus size, yeah. Yeah, that's all merchandising. That's different. You know, I think for me, though... Yeah, but I think it's the same sort of mental thing where you're like, oh, I'll buy the bigger amount of food, but actually you'll stuff yourself with more food and that's Mm -hmm. not good for you. Yeah, but to get back to your question, yeah, I I think for that reason, I have tended, as I've had more wealth, to like hoard like like greater quality ingredients in food and, and ultimately to eat more than I should be. And like, I'm not scrawny. I'm certainly not large, but like... And I don't want to call out judgments, um, but it has become more difficult for me to like, like I'm not, I'm not, I have a different metabolism, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I did when I was, yeah. uh, so I do watch my calories a little bit more. And my then there's this work from I'm, home thing, which you're yeah. moving less. Yeah. I'm moving a lot less. My watch is reminding me constantly like, Hey, you didn't do very well yesterday. And <laughs> you know, the screen that we made you use is taking up too much of your time. <laughs> so <Yeah>. where does food <laughs> the screen fit that in? you paid for yeah. is too good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I think, I mean, one of the ironies, again, like of, and I don't want to say American culture, but I think probably just like cultures in general now is like, we'll advertise the great food, the food to you at the lowest price for the most number of calories. And then we'll also advertise you the cure, which will be like the diet or the exercise. Like, I I don't know about you, but 
I'm desperately looking for ways to exercise. Like maybe if I walk there, maybe if I do this, I started doing like VR workouts this okay. week. And well, yeah, I, I definitely try to do a lot of walks and they're also food related where yeah. there's a Japanese grocery store, but it's maybe 25 minute walk. Yeah. And then You're I'll go there on purpose. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think I've been working from home since uh, forever. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have to build in these inefficiencies and get things further away just to, it, it, it's it's so easy to just stay at home and think I'm getting a lot done. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think it helps creativity when you're just inside all day. And I don't think it helps the body. So, these are, yeah. But, but it, maybe it, it brings us back to the original point, though, which is like, what food do you seek out? And yeah, ultimately, if you're going to seek out these great food experiences, you know, there might be different kind of... Um, for foreground or background compromises, like one compromise might be to your health, another compromise might be to your wallet. That's, but that's yeah, the wallet. I, I, I don't mind spending on food. I think what what better thing can you spend on than food? But uh, um, the health thing, I don't think there. I don't think better tasting food has to be unhealthy. Like that's mm-hmm. just it's easier to make unhealthy food. Yeah, but, but you, you can also make the argument that better food doesn't have to be more expensive. And I think a lot of chefs, like if you watch No, no, I, I, I think better food is more expensive. I think if you only ate instant ramen, it's probably not good for mm. you, but it's cheap. You can store it for... I always think of those food, uh, sort of the, the newsstands on the subway, and they mm-hmm. just have all these candy bars and uh, packaged peanuts and things like that. And they just last forever. They couldn't sell fresh meals there and then have to throw out half of it every day. But here's the thing, like inherent in like your argument is this this implicit uh, statement that fresh equals good food, um, whereas for most of civilization, it was the opposite, right? Like pickled herring. Let's use an example: fresh yeah. fish versus pickled herring. Now, someone might argue that pickled herring is of equal or greater, you know, flavor value to fresh fish, like served as sushi. And I might make that argument, like. Pickled vegetables, similarly. Like, is there, like, but why, you, you why would both. a package, yeah, you need you both. You need both, I think but so. But can a candy bar, like, the other, uh, let me just give you one experience, which is I hadn't had a, do you know what a crunchy bar is? No. Like, so this is a few months ago, like, n- mid-pandemic. Um, I went to the corner store to pick up some stuff, and then I had this, like, sudden rush and memory of, like, crunchy bars, which are these, it's a Canadian chocolate bar, actually, now that I think about it. And it's, um... It's like a honeycomb type um, sugar bar. Like it's just this like honeycomb texture. I, I'm sure you've had it before. You know that like kind of sponge toffee honeycomb stuff that's yeah. like dark yellow. Yeah. And then they like coat that in chocolate. And it's very simple. But I was like, I had this sudden childhood memory of this bar. I like opened it on the spot, and, like ate it in the store on my way home. And I was like, this is incredible. This is an incredible food experience. Now, like, what separates that from, like, a fine dining meal? I don't know. Like, for me, that is as good as any meal. And it's out of a, it's a packaged good. I could have got it at a Subway newsstand. Part of it was tied to the, like, I don't know, probably the context, the ephemeral nature of, like, the pandemic and wanting to reconnect with my childhood. But there are these moments, similarly with soft serve ice cream, or, like, there are these, like, cheap foods that sometimes really light up your senses. I think think I grew up in a sort of elitist food environment so i don't have those uh, memories of eating a really cheap cereal or whatever mm-hmm. like sometimes yeah. i'll still get a craving for fruit loops and like yeah because i, I just a treat I, I don't think i've ever had them we had 
maybe when I was older we had some granola, but I grew up without sugar until I was 10 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so did I, but it would be like I was allowed to have it every once in a while. And then that kind of created like yeah, a Coca-Cola I, with lemon, like on a cold day. Those like it actually, I have to like line it up in a series. You know, I'll have a craving in a moment. And well, food is also social, so it's an interesting point that I love Coca-Cola, but I don't like a whole glass. I just love it when Christina orders it and I can have a sip. Because mm-hmm. I, it, the, it, it's just that one sip that tastes good. After that, it's really... I don't know if you agree, but uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of junk food, the craving is better than the actual experience. Well, one of the weird ones will be the, like, the, if you have a taste, but the idea of gulping something which to me is the antithesis of tasting it, can sometimes feel extremely satisfying. It's even the way they sell a lot of soft drinks, right? They'll like show someone playing tennis, then like the refreshment comes not from the experience of tasting it, comes from the ritual of gulping it and like letting it like occupy your whole body experience. Um, I have that sometimes. Like yesterday I gulped down this like cider like mint mojito cider thing. It was like kind of like it was it was great. Like it was very refreshing. But yeah. honestly the, the satisfaction came from less taste rather than more. But it's so, a lot of joy, yeah. Food. Yeah. I mean I, I do want to get it somewhat like back to art in just like a, for like a peak of a second because like as artists you and I should both be extremely interested not just in consuming food but in producing it. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because as an artist I think you would you would experience you would, you would expect that food is, or you, you might assume that food is like the ultimate sensory experience because it, it uses all of the senses, right? It uses the nose, the mouth. Yeah, but you also ears. have different talents. That's like saying uh, any artist should be a musician too. Yeah, but, I, you know, then here's my question is like, why don't you see more artists working with food? Now, I do I do have like a list. No, of- no, no. I, I think they're very different things. I think uh, there are so many creative expressions or human activities and you can't pick them all and you can't uh, be good at all of them so i don't know sounds elitist to me like here's the thing like why is why can you go do an mfa in short story writing but you can't do an mfa in cooking but there are tons of schools for cooking but they're not they're not considered an art they they're like it's sometimes you'll hear people say the culinary arts and you're like "Mm, yeah stop stop trying to like pump up your well i i I, I don't know i I think art education is a impossibility to begin with i I don't think it's something you can teach so you either have it or you don't and then uh, i don't know i think food for me is much more tied to tradition so i'm but this is the thing at some point like so art was too right it was an apprenticeship model which a lot of people say cooking still is right like if you're a chef you like go study under another chef um yeah but there's a different thing like if you write a song, you can listen to it anywhere in the world anytime you want. So there's no reason to make that song again and again. Mm-hmm. And then you make a different song. But uh, if you're really into good brown bread, like a, a good rye bread or a good sourdough or whatever, mm-hmm. you have to bake it every day. But is there like, I guess it's, I've been watching... There's a, a very, there's a very... Dip, the big difference between atoms and bits and, and or in, into yeah. Well, during the pandemic, I started. I was watching Great British Bake Off. Have you watched that show before? Yeah, Christina loves that show. Okay, so I was watching. I just got into it, and and in the first season that I watched, which was in season four, there's like a contestant on the show who is really high concept and does like a lot of visually pleasing 
Is it the well-dressed gets... uh, gay guy? with? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, okay, a... because he, he keeps having great ideas and then messing it up. <laughs> okay, well, this person actually was great at execution from a visual standpoint and concept standpoint. Like, it'd be like, these breadsticks are a matchbox. With, and the, the, she'd create the actual matchbox, and the breadsticks would like look like matches. But then she would present the work to the judges, and they'd be like... Oh, the, you're great at the visual, but you gotta you gotta focus on the flavor. You gotta focus on the yeah, flavor. Yeah, now yeah. she ended up winning the season. Spoiler alert, sorry, but um, only once she embraced like both the visual and the like. I guess the taste. Um, and but, I, I don't. I only say this because like like the visual was definitely not enough. It was enough to get her so far, but she had to do both to win now the op on the opposite side when people have presented really sloppy food on the show it's been interesting to see the judges be like i don't want to eat that like it looks terrible you know um, well the, the, so, when i watch that show i just um i'm not a political person but for me this is like one big sugar promotion i'm <laughs> it's a baking show yeah but you don't have to bake with sugar you can bake bread yeah, well, they usually have like, savory options. Uh, like people are a little bit, but it, it, if you if you see the world through the lens of sugar, is is basically the biggest murderer. Mm -hmm. There's there's nothing that comes close to killing people. Sure. Well, what I find fascinating about that show is how many no, no, let how me many finish. variations you get from flour and sugar, right? No, no. But let me finish. Like, if if you see things through the lens of like, why are all traditions unhealthy? Like, why do you eat uh, hot dogs at a baseball game and Etc. Once you start seeing things through that lens, and why do we promote that? Like, why isn't there a show that is about making the best vegetable broth? There's, um, there's no one competing. Like, oh, you grew the most. It, it, these vegetables are kind of ugly, but the the taste is amazing. Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I I think this Western idea that you either have healthy food or delicious food, and they can't be combined. Mm -hmm. I think it's that basically. This whole lockdown, uh, uh, people being unhealthy, it, it just seems to me this is the biggest, uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not trying to make the world a better place, but if you just think logically, yeah. like what is the biggest threat to human lives in the West? Overconsumption and... It's an unhealthy food. There's, nothing, there's mm -hmm. nothing that comes close to, because heart disease and diabetes are the biggest problem, right? So it's mm -hmm. really shocking to me that you would have a show that prom promotes eating tons of sugar. I don't know. I think it's like your point is... Well, um, imagine, imagine you had the, the great cigarette show and they would all be smoking <laughs> be like, oh, this cigarette tastes so good. It's, okay. it's, as, well, it's now as crazy. We've, yeah. sw we've swapped roles because now you're passing judgments on, on folks. I was going to say like prior to the pandemic, the largest trend in eating was toward like bowls and like these like vegetable bowls basically. Yeah. And like a lot yeah. of the new chains and a lot of the investment in the US has been towards like Sweet the, green you know, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and like artificial meats that are made from vegetable proteins and things yeah. like that. So yeah. I don't know if um, the trend of in America of like, you know, over-consuming sugar and meat is one that that is well, like me, sustainable or even me, growing. Let me put it this way. The, I saw, there's this general image of in the West, if you're poor, you eat unhealthy. And then mm -hmm. I remember seeing this uh, exhibition about this... That, this documentary about this Japanese action painter who paints with boxing gloves. I can't remember the name of the movie. Oh, I know did the you, one you're talking about. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. And they're living in Brooklyn, and they're super poor, but they managed to get a little piece of raw fish from the Japanese market that was left over that was cheap, and they create a beautiful sashimi plate with a few tomatoes. 
they don't have a lot of money, but they have a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so they eat delicious food. So the idea that you have to be wealthy to be healthy and that, that kind of mm -hmm. crap. Um, well, I think you're making a, your point is it can be delicious and healthy. And yeah, that's, what, yeah. that's and the I, food you I, choose. I think if you, if you want to make the world a better place, it, it seems like that would be a priority. Mm -hmm. like, it, it, like bringing enjoyment and health together. Yeah. But it yeah. doesn't sound very conceptually interesting to me as an artist. <laughs> Just no, kidding. I'm no, kidding. No, no, no. I think but, that is one point of view. Like, and but I, remember, view. I remember there was a, a, at Rhizome, they had an evening and somebody was trying to make uh, plankton based candy bars that were sustainable and they tasted so awful. It was really punishment. Yeah. Well, taste is a, you know, is, is, is not necessarily subjective. There are certain like kind of rules to creating like tastes that, pe that universally people find yeah. good, right? Texture but, factors in sweet, fat, salty, all these combination kind of, you need these umami, right? Like yeah. there, there's a, there's a certain science to, to the, to this. It's not like it's, um, we need to reinvent it. And maybe that's where, it would be frustrating for the artist, but I, I would argue that art has similar rules. Um, and that like candy bar probably was just a rejection of the, the rules to the same way noise music is a rejection of melody or something. Yeah. Like that. It, it, it felt a little bit like a soylent or some idea like that where you just engineer something without thinking of any of the, the humanity. Of, well, I was of thinking of like, you know, artists who have worked with ingredients just prior to the podcast. And to your point about sugar, I think like, you know, have you seen Kara Walker's, Kara Walker's Sugar Sphinx? It's like a Sphinx. It's a cool of... uh, pronunciation of a Kara Walker. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it that way. I don't know what happened. My tongue got caught. But Kara Walker, yeah. great American The sugar artist. sculpture? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a giant Sphinx um, made of sugar. It and... must have smelled really uh, strongly. Well, I, I haven't seen the work. I would love to hear from a listener who's seen who's seen it in person because, yeah, I would assume that there's like a sensory experience to that being made. Because you sugar. you mentioned why don't artists work with food, and I think smell is a big. Uh, I think Duchamp curated a show where there was the smell of roasting coffee throughout the room. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, and uh, it is an interesting aspect. It really is transformative when you enter a space well, and there's a strong smell. When I was thinking of artists that had worked with food, all that could come up was artists that had like used food to revolt their audiences, like Paul McCarthy's hot dog performance, which I think is, you know, one of the more famous food performances yeah. where he the, like the puts his penis the... in a hot dog bun and smears mustard on his ass and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And it causes people to throw up. Like very few people can watch that <laughs> that performance. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then Carolee Schneeman had Meat Joy, which was like a, a short film in the 1960s of like an orgy with raw chicken and fish and people are kind of all writhing but it always seems to come back to this like food for artists anyway is a factor of um biology and like the crude animal nature of well, it, humankind it, it, and that's yeah, in contradiction to art making it it's more of a standing back it's not you're hungry and you put something in your mouth it's like you've already eaten and then you look in the fridge that's the artist's point of view so you're you're not looking at it because you're hungry but you're like oh why is a fridge this shape? And, and why are the things... You know what yeah. I mean? Well, Observing. I was thinking food is also maybe a threat to the artist, right? Because the artist, in some ways, like food um, is this unstable material. Therefore, like, I think for a performance, that's why you see it in performance. It makes a ton of sense because it's sensorial. It doesn't yeah. conserve But the well, history of so painting is, is filled with still lives of food that they wanted to preserve the food forever. 
yeah, in in that way they're preser- preserving the visual aspects of it. But yeah, that's where I think food is very very interesting from a performance artist standpoint for me, and probably why I seek out these experiences and I keep yeah. coming back to like I love what was that the that Andy Warhol eating a hamburger video. Sure, but like, and but imagine if that like wasn't a video; it was like you and Andy Warhol having a hamburger together on a no, sidewalk. No, I think video is good with Basquiat. No, I know I love the video, but like I'm just saying, food does have this. I think food is actually art, and I do believe that it's like a form of fluxus or performance-based art. It is something you cannot share with another person, and that's why we try and take pictures of it, but we fail to convey the excitement mm. we had for that's it. That's an interesting point. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, I'm trying to wrap up my good point, but like, no, but I, I think I think that's a very deep statement that you can take a picture of the food, but it's not as good as experiencing the meal. And this is the big conundrum of art. Like, I think a lot of people start out being able to draw a little bit and being visually interested and then say, oh, I want to make a painting that conveys the feeling of falling in love because mm-hmm. I'm so in love right now. So I want to share the feeling of falling in love. And then. You make a painting with all these hearts and butterflies and you look at the painting and you don't feel the same feeling. Mm-hmm. So th- th- I, I think the, the whole idea of making art is that you have to let go of intentions and then start accepting what the work does on its own without your initial thoughts. So you're like, no, no, but you're hearing the song. It doesn't sound that good, but it sounded really good in my head. And like that's not going to help anyone. So... I think that's the the thing you have to learn is is uh, and maybe that's the same with food. It's like oh, I I want to create a, a vegan cheeseburger. It's like no, why don't you create something that's delicious that doesn't emulate a cheeseburger? Well, I'm gonna kind of go off the deep end a little bit here, but I've always wondered why is our fir- one of the first acts of intimacy between two people to exchange saliva, right? Like to actually it's very controversial taste, right to, now to yeah. taste each other, but like yeah. Taste is a factor of physical contact is really probably one of the most, I don't want to say primal, but it's like we discount the tremendous like power of that sense organ in our lives and our experiences. Well, and I, we I try think, and fill I think it with you're not, like, I think you're not seeing one function of art and that is the idea of uh, the afterlife. So mm-hmm. if you choose to work in smell or in performance you're making things like you're saying like oh i had this amazing meal i took pictures but of course you had to be there it's yeah. it's not really possible to document it and the experience was so intense that you cannot experience that in a stone sculpture or in an oil and canvas uh, work um, but if well, you look at art as the idea that you have to create things that last forever period otherwise it's not art let let's say for the sake of argument um then Food is not really a good medium. No, and I'm reminded that the first, you know, patents, right, which we think of as these things that we apply to technology, patents were actually invented in ancient Greece to protect the culinary arts, to protect dishes. So you could go apply for a patent for your food. And it was because food was considered of such high aesthetic value and economic value to those that practiced the make making new dishes and new and and the public respected that to such a high degree that they placed the greatest intellectual property on the ability to recreate Mm. a dish right and that's cookbooks have tried to do this for centuries which is like help me recreate the best of something it's interesting because the the u.s is so 
uh, strong on inventing and patents. I think, I'm not sure, but it seems there's a long history here of people inventing stuff and patenting it. And the fact that they patented so many food uh, technologies actually made people miserable. I think if, mm. if you cook yourself, you're much better off than getting something out of a package with all these uh, artificial ingredients. Um, so the idea with all the... All the energy yeah, put into pr protecting these secretive business methods and like the secret like, sauce idea and the Coca-Cola yeah. recipe. KFC's secret recipe, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or even patenting different kinds of crops and then tying them to a certain fertilizer and it, it, like DRM for plants and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. It, it just, it, it's funny. It just seems like the biggest security threat to the U.S. is not, uh, bombs mm. or planes but it's unhealthy food i just think it's like if you saw a painting of a peach from i go back to peaches because they've talked about how to Cezanne or something yeah and you know that Cezanne had an idea of that peach that just we cannot we don't we have a no idea right it's, it's actually both tragic and romantic at yeah. the same time like yeah and to hear people talk about what it was like to eat eat a peach fresh off the tree or something when they were 16 years old. Like and maybe those peaches were horrible. Maybe our peaches are better. Well, bananas are a great example. We're, we're on like V3 or 4 of the banana, but apparently because bananas have been wiped out because they've been, you know, like over, there's been too much agriculture in bananas, so too much monoculture. And therefore, like, just like potatoes, there's been like these diseases that have swept the banana, like all banana types, right? And so we've we've had to go and find less... The bananas that like our parents grew up with and our parents' parents were, were apparently like, you know when you eat like one of those banana candies and you're like, the banana flavor, you taste that? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, this isn't what bananas taste like. That is what bananas tasted like because that flavor was invented. I think, I think you have to go to Brazil because it, you know how in the, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the Netherlands, you can choose 12 kinds of potatoes or 12 kinds of apples and this apple's good for baking, and yeah. this apple is good for desserts, and this apple's good to eat right out of the... And that's the same with bananas if you go to a grocery I, store. I agree with you. Like It's like I have to go to Italy to have the best brioche I ever had. Like I'm never, I've tried to find that brioche somewhere else, and I've never found it. Like mm. In Italy, it was the best. Oh, man, like they that. have good fruit in uh, Italy, too. The, the melon, the cantaloupes. And, uh, right, yeah. yeah. Like, for you to get the best soba, you have to go to Japan. Like, I, I do find this, like, to be a very exciting concept. But it's an interesting point about uh, the best thing being in the place of origin and its native climate. Uh, like, it's, it's uh, where the plants grow best. But then I saw this documentary on pizza, and there's an institution in Naples that verifies if something is authentic pizza, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you get a stamp of approval. Yeah. And the director of the organization is saying, oh, we're a little bit worried. There's these pizza guys in, in Japan, and they're starting to get so good, it's better than Italian pizza, and yeah. we're starting to worry about that. So that it, nothing nothing's fixed, you know? Like uh, it, Things change, and... At this point, the best mango is a certain part of the world, and it might be changing a while. And we might invent new plants that taste different and better. And I, yeah, there's I, like a, there's like something that bothers me about it, and also that I find kind of awesome and romantic. The part that bothers me is like that we'd have to like colonize the world to have these experiences. Like I have to go try this, you know. And a lot of wars were fought over spices, right? Like 
You know, yeah. remember, can you imagine that pepper, like that you grind on your steak or whatever? So, like, <laughs> this someone, is worth killing. Someone was like, people mm, got to go to war for that. <laughs> so good. You know, like we have to like, we're going to, the sacrifice It's like, it's of like life the, is the, the Popeye chicken sandwich, supposedly that people, like, and you know that story, right? Yeah, that they were like short supplies, so there were fights over them. Like one, yeah, you know, exactly. Two sandwiches, or one. that's the ultimate compliment that people murder for whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we could go on. I think it was a great question, Lisa. And I guess yeah. if we put a, a pin in it, like me personally, I'm seeking out what the fa- my favorite foods are always shifting. I'm always looking for new experiences. I do come back to oysters continuously because they're so goddamn that, interesting that, like, this is yeah that's the interesting thing when you start getting into nuances so you you have a favorite oyster or you know a, a certain type of oyster very well that's native to your region they just keep surprising me like there's yeah oysters yeah. are the only way to travel the world and eat at the same time you yeah. know like and, you can, and i think that's very i think that's a very interesting state of being and getting into details and not getting into more but getting into details yeah yeah and for Cause, you because oysters oysters are not about eating as much as you can it's about uh, no. being very aware of, of the aesthetic experience exactly yeah. and the subtlety and subtle differences between them actually are thrilling but that's um, th- this is exactly my point i think with food engineering you can make uh, I, I don't know what flaming cheetos or whatever that uh, they're addictive and you can't and they'll be the same around the world you could travel and there's uh, the, mm-hmm. the same flaming cheetos around the world yeah and there's something about oysters that you it's just entertaining for the rest of your life and it's actually also good for you yeah 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 so i mean that's probably where i stand i will say like i go to the grocery store like anyone else and uh, certainly during the pandemic grocery stores have been doing great business like um and the things i seek out at grocery stores tend to be increasingly like i'm seeking out novelty which is you know i guess it's a factor of not being able to go to restaurants so i'm like oh like i wonder what these korean short ribs would taste like or this blue cheese Mm. hamburger or something and you you cook often right I cook every day. Like I've cooked twice. I'll cook twice today or three times today. Yeah, I, I get frustrated times. cooking. There's a few things I can do, and then other stuff. I'm like, ah, it, we did some Japanese cooking classes, and then it takes three mm-hmm. or four hours of, of cutting and preparing to make this ramen salad, and then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I can just walk five minutes and get the best ramen salad for yeah. twelve dollars. Good point. Uh, like that's why restaurants exist, and you know because it it's more efficient at scale. To yeah, and and it's just also it's nice to get out of the house, and it's nice to go for a walk, and that it's just all pluses. Yeah, yeah, but I enjoy cooking, and I actually enjoy failing. But um, just okay. because you know, like through some of those failures, you uncover like what makes like I'll go to a restaurant and then I'll try and recreate aspects of it, and it would take me it takes me months, but it's like an exploration and like oh, how did they get to that or how did they do? What this? would you cook for me if I was visiting? You mean like I have certain go-to dishes? Yeah. Um, what are your What are you best at? Well, giving you like fish. Um, I do a lot of barbecuing and grilling. Oh, but nice. Yeah. So I might I might do some grilled fish for you very lightly. I would do t- maybe tuna steaks lightly grilled with cilantro and lime, and maybe I'd yeah serve that with a side of I do these yeah some great potatoes or parsnips or so I don't know I would Brussels sprouts that are my favorite. Good. Kristen won't let me make them. But, <laughs> Why um, not? I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll even grill them. You know what my favorite thing recently has been? Like, I can't believe it took me this long to figure out, but grilling bread is with a little olive oil. Like, oh, yeah. Take a French baguette and grill that. It's incredible. Um, put some I, salt I, on I, it. I did notice as you get older that the bitter seems to be yeah. more acceptable. So I, I really like broccoli rub and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, like um, radic. Yeah, any like I'll, I'll eat anything bitter. I, I love um, yeah all types of greens that are especially bitter greens. Yeah. Um, anyway, I like I like stews a lot. Maybe uh, <laughs> we're getting the part of the podcast where it's just like I like this is probably what Lisa wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I remember being in Stockholm. There's this uh, restaurant by the theater by the opera. I think I, I went there with Lisa, and they had this great sort of tomato potato salmon stew. Mm-hmm. Swedish, I I remember that being very good. Yeah, and at this time of year, especially, it it yeah. shifts for me depending on the time of the year what I want to eat. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, I I think maybe this answers another question: like, how do you choose what you eat? When you grow up in the Netherlands, it's really a challenge to eat well. I think you can find a lot of stuff, and it will be affordable. But to find good stuff, it really takes a lot of research. And then I did a residency in Paris, and you go to the grocery store, and I just made a carrot soup, just like some onions, some carrots, a little bit of chicken broth, and then the blender. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, this is the best carrot soup I've ever had. <laughs> and they're just good carrots. And then I remember yeah. being in, in Japan, buying uh, some two pieces of mackerel and just sauteing them and a bit of rice and a bit of soy sauce. And the fish was juicy inside and crunchy on the outside. And you're yep. like, wow, I'm a really good chef. And then you go back to the Netherlands and the fish is 12 weeks old or whatever. Yeah. And it falls apart and you're like, oh, I'm so bad at cooking. Well, so I, yeah, it, yeah, I agree. No. Yeah, no, no. It just as an example that came to mind while you're talking is like if you buy asparagus at the store, a lot of people don't like asparagus, right? But here in Ontario, like I could go out in June or May and buy asparagus off the field and like eat it. Oh, that's like, the one stri- thing that's good in the Netherlands. Also, the white asparagus in the, in the oh in yeah, spargle. Yeah. Um, but like you know, just eating it right out of the ground. It's like it's the transcendent experience. So good. But that's yeah. what I that's what I mean with this idea of of uh, healthy and delicious combined. It's it's this. W- once you introduce technology to food or engineering or chemical engineering, I don't mean pickling, but I mean like whatever mm-hmm. they do at, at the uh, Cheetos factory. Uh, there's so many nuances in natural foods that are impossible to engineer. I think nature is still too complex for us to uh, mm. recreate. That's yeah, what I, I meant with, like, we're not able to create grains out of, out of uh, crude oil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a so, good point. It's a good point. And, th- and that's why I'm, I'm interested in these things like, bread around the world, trying bread around the world or trying noodles around the world that they, they seem very uh, bland, but there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, today's Super oh, boy. Bowl day, so go get your uh, potato chips and hot wings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will yeah. say that, one thing, like one last thing before we go. Food but, like, traditions. Yeah. Today's like about wings and like, you know, which are used to be an off cut. Same thing with ribs. When my mom was growing up, she would go to the grocery store and get wings and ribs because they were the cheapest things you could buy because no one wanted them. You know, similarly, oysters, you know, and yeah. lobster yeah, was considered. I, we like, were in Maine and, and uh, lobster is really appreciated. But like 200 years ago, they fed lobsters to prisoners because no one else would eat them. Yeah, mussels are the same way. One of my favorite foods. But like I remember getting mussels at a restaurant in Maine and a woman was like, what are you eating those for? They just wash up on shore by my house. <laughs> she was like, they're garbage. And we're like, oh, well, I really like isn't, them. Isn't Canada sort of a mythical place where the European settlers would arrive, or the first uh, explorers, and they could just grab fish out of the shore? They didn't even have to do anything. It's <laughs> just so much food. 
Well, I'm sure that um, you've heard of this concept of a jubilee in the United States, um, where there was this, it's like an occurrence that happens like once every decade where the moon and the tides are just such that like all of the the seafood jumps out of the ocean and onto the, yeah, the yeah, beach yeah. and people just like pick there's it up. There's just so much of it. Yeah, there's so much of it. That's, that just seems to me the idea of the U.S. And, and it's still to this day, Europeans seem a lot more frugal than Americans and have smaller fridges and smaller cars. And this idea in the U.S. that there's just... There's just so much of everything. It's population density, and like there's no, you know, wildlife, um, and have, having access to wild game, you know, when you have yeah. high population densities, increasingly rare. You would assume that Japan would have like a greater. I guess that's why they have a, a, such a high degree of like respect for the ingredient in Japan is because the population density is so high relative to the amount of the ingredient available. Yeah, but it's it's bizarre to me that. As a as a country, you decide food is not important. And being from the Netherlands, it's just like peanut butter sandwiches twice a day, and then at the end of the day, some potatoes, and that's it. Yeah, well, it, I think it's it's wild. Like you have to put food in your mouth. Why not make it delicious? But it's like no, no, no. <laughs> I can't spend the time. I have to do this other thing. I, it is one of the few places where I've had a salad, and there was mold in the salad. You know, so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like you know cultured mold. It was like by accident. But the, the, anyway. one of the things that surprises me is that I, in theory, I love cooking and I love doing it all. But then when it's about 5 p.m., 6 p.m., and I'm just kind of like, I, I've, I might have even bought the ingredients. And I'm still like, ah, oh, let's go out. I don't want to cook. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. I have I, the time. I, but yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, you got to get into it. I, I, I guarantee yeah. you, you'll, you'll find some satisfaction if you start. It's like anything. Yeah, you for sure. You it over time. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Lisa, for your question. And um, we didn't talk too much about art and business, I hope. (laughs) Mm. And, I mean, we could have gone way deeper on the business side of things. Uh, Food is like the primary business of the world. Is there business in food? Is there food business? Yeah, I mean, like right now, the the food business is like the most profitable business on the planet because it's all people do is talk about it. Yeah, I remember the sourdough became really popular the first Mm -hmm. lockdown. Yeah, the grocery stores here in Canada anyway are making record profits at the you know, and the restaurants obviously are suffering. So, um, yeah, I feel so bad. A bunch of my favorite restaurants closed. So I hope they get good deals in the. Well, we didn't go into the ghost kitchen thing, but like all these new, there's a new type of restaurant that has emerged called the ghost kitchen, which is just for delivery. Yeah, Um, I I think the guy, the the the, that aggressive Uber CEO, that Kalanick. He yeah, started a whole coming. thing where he's using dead malls to become ghost kitchens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like... The, uh, <laughs> it sounds we, like a horror movie. We're over time, but what I would kitchens. say about the ghost kitchen yeah. is what it's tragic is that the delivery destroys... And what I find interesting is that delivery, like a 10-minute delivery even, destroys so much of the quality of an experience that you have with food that that, yeah, that amount of time... Yeah. can destroy the quality of something I find fascinating. But. Well, that's the thing. Like, if you cook at home, like a, you might not be the best pastry chef, but if you make your own apple pie, it somehow it fills the the room with the air. And it, that that's maybe the same argument. Like, oh, are mangoes in Brazil really better, or are you just happy to be on vacation? And like, That's my point. That's my is, point. Is, is the pie <laughs> at home actually better, or is it... But Christina makes really great pies, so I, I think objectively... Well, yeah, my final point will be like, no matter what it is, you can't tell anyone else about it or take a picture. You just have to have that experience and live with it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, to all our listeners, I hope you're having 
great experience today with food. And Lisa, thanks for your question. Keep sending in your questions. We have a couple in the backlog, but um, yeah, we're eager to hear more. And like, you know, this question, it can be about anything, really. We're prepared to just talk about anything. And we'd love having you listen. So thank you again. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.